Good morning, people of the internet. You're listening to Debbie Radio 79.5 FM, a podcast where we discuss the movie Gross Point Blank, one minute at a time. I'm your host, Dev Sardegar. And I'm the other host, Hugh David. <clears throat> On today's show, we are going to be looking at minute 49 in the film. Still at the Hippo Club, the not quite the hippest place to be in Gross Point, Michigan. And we will see Martin and Debbie get interrupted by the real world, penetrating their moment of, ple- of uh, joy, pleasure, and um, a little bubble around them as they return to the, the, the way their old ways. Joining us today on the show, we have broadcaster, podcaster, film critic, general man about town, Leslie Byron-Pitt. How are you, sir? How you doing? You right? So far, so good. Have you been enjoying this week with us? Yeah, really good fun. Really good fun. It is different, isn't it? Very it's different. Very different. Yeah. Indeed, it, indeed. It feels like a much more cutting room perspective of a movie. You're, <laughs> you're so in the weeds of it that you sometimes mm. lose the overall, you know, mm. big, Big picture perspective of the of the film, um, mm-hmm. but Absolutely. yeah, get get ready for the when you get to the climax, guys. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's gonna be interesting <laughs> each minute. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, Dev, giving I always like to give you the lead on this because it is your favorite movie of all time. So it talk is. Us through it this is. Talk yeah, us through I this I feel like this week that the hippo club scenes have kind of flown by because uh, there's not a whole lot of like meaningful stuff happening and yet everything meaningful is happening this is this is you know we've said where these two are reconnecting they're re-establishing their relationship and they're doing it in the most like mundane way possible and the, the tension has kind of been building and they've had all this conversation about like going to the high school reunion together actually you know going on that quote-unquote date date effectively and then everything just kind of gets shattered as uh, Amy, played by Anne Cusack, the third Cusack uh, in this <laughs> film, uh, blasts onto the scene, uh, clearly already a few drinks in, and just disrupts everything. Yeah, is, she's not in any other scene, is she? Nope. Well, no, she's I not. kept looking for her in the reunion, and she's not there, I don't think. And I, I kind of really like that. Like, there is something to be said about, as Hugh says, real the real world kind of sh- shattering this kind of little intimate space. Mm. And so often it's something like this and it's someone like this where yeah. someone who, who knows both people intimately well, they're in there for one moment and then they're, they're kind of gone again. And in a personal story, I won't go too dark, um, deep into it because it, it's, it's quite dark and a little bit tragic but we um, about four years ago um i was in i was at stoke Manor hospital and there was a reason why and i was there and i remember getting up and and leaving i went to get out to get uh, some fresh air and then suddenly i bumped into this guy that i went to school with middle school and worked with briefly um, when I was working at a cinema. And for some reason he was there. I had no idea why, why he was there. He was in a, in a car and we had a, the briefest conversation. I haven't seen him since. <laughs> Literally, I don't know this guy so long. And he, you could tell he was trying to start up a conversation, but he knew what was going on with me at the same time. And it was just really 
weird moment. And this is what Amy kind of suggests to me. It's this really weird thing that the world just keeps going on and people kind of know you and they don't and they kind of just come in and they clatter and it it's a really, really nice bit of chaos. It's a really relatable bit of chaos. Um and what I like is as well with this moment, like looking back at the looking back at the minute and how it starts, it starts with this very, very typical starry eyed close up shot of Mini Driver. Um with the, the catch lights are in her eyes and she's she's looking great and looking fantastic and one of the reasons we we kind of said off air one of the reasons why i really like her in this is because she's really unconventional compared to everyone that we were seeing on screen at the time um and she doesn't look like anyone else um and she it's really really great and the I love the moment that they're just trying to get that connection going and you can see the, like the, the, the pacing of the conversation, everything's kind of ramping up and then boom, this drunkard comes in. Oh. <laughs> Absolute drunkard. And she means well and the intentions are good, but it just disrupts everything. And like that moment is kind of lost in either. It's, and it's really funny. It's, it, it's generally quite funny. And I love the way that she kind of, tries to create her own intimacy in that moment and she's got she's she has no part of it at all it's so she's grabbing their arms and putting them together and, and oh it's, there's this cringe, kind of cringe, pure cringe. but also like i love the intention of it and and the lines as well oh you guys still together and it's like oh where have you been <laughs> like in the 10 years well, this is the thing, isn't it? That that loops us back round to the encounters Martin was having before he found Debbie and the people he was running into and the things they were saying. And it just brings us back down to earth with a bump after all of this close-up, close-in, emotional... You know, we, we really... <coughs> I've said before in, in some of the other episodes, this 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 is a genre mashup as a film. And yeah. this, you know, we've been in the rom-com moment. And this is still in keeping with rom-coms. But there's Very something good. sharper to this as well. There's there's something more acidic to this. Considering she's the, the, at the start of the minute, Debbie has said, "I was just planning on staying at home and being mean to them on the radio." And now we're gonna. Well, now we find out why she was just planning. On that. <laughs> this is exactly it. Here is your concrete example, as well as a reminder for Martin. Oh yeah, this is why I didn't want to come back. Um, and I feel like that's uh, uh, it's just beautifully timed. It's beautifully timed because also we then start to remember Martin who Martin is, why he's there, what's going on. You know, this is starting to take us away from the bubble we've been in for most of the episodes this week, which was a beautiful, lovely, relaxing bubble um, for a moment. (laughs) (laughs) And now it's all shattering. By the way, minor point, there's some, weirdly, uh, Amy is dressed not unlike her sister's character in The Office. Yeah, I was just noticing that it's a little right. bit Sergeant Pepper. Yeah, yeah. Now get get this. While we've been talking, I was just looking at some comms from various film people I know, uh, and one of them was posting some photos of Bridget Fonda, who we mentioned off air as well. In it's a publicity photo of her for Godfather Three. Guess what kind of jacket she's wearing? <laughs> oh, really? Nineteen ninety one. Clearly, it was a thing putting redheads in 
button-up jackets in 91, 92 onwards. It's just like, okay, all right, so this is the thing. Um, which was just mad. I'm trying to get my head around it, like, what? But, um, yeah, one of these days we'll have to get somebody who knows more about fashion on to talk about that stuff. Because I think I would genuinely be interested to know if this is just weird coincidences or if this was, like, a Hollywood costume designer thing and nobody in the real world actually did it. Because I know Madonna did it at some point, and I'm pretty sure Paula Abdul did it. And yeah, like it's a it's a it's a fashion movie thing. I just don't ever remember seeing it in the real world. Anyone real do it? <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, Which it works. Cool. Like oh, totally. it's textbook color theory, right? Blue and orange right. is is mm. is the rules of movie posters, right? If nothing yeah. else, mm. like it's mm. the Michael Bay rule. Mm-hmm. Oh God! Yeah, teal and orange. Yeah. But Every so this... often, I have a flash as to what would this film look like if Michael Bay had done it. And well, that's it's called painting game. Because <laughs> <laughs> we we've done we've done painting game, haven't we? Yeah, I've got painting game. It was good. Yeah, film. we did, we did do that one, and it is like the thing is, it, it, there are things about it that are so not like this film, and that's the Bay esque element. Um, mm. I hate to say this because I do not like agree with Mark Kermode about everything. I know he's your, one of your heroes, Les, but yeah. I, I always think about him discussing Michael Bay as a pornographer. It fascinates me because I know Mark knows about pornography. I know his wife as a film a, a, a professor of film is a specialist in all kinds of areas to do with interesting erotic films and whatnot. And I still think he's not quite on the money with that. I still think that's not no. completely what Bay is or what Bay does or how he does things. I think it's even simpler than that. And I think Armitage is the complete opposite. Armitage is a real, it's somebody, you know, somebody who's lived, right? He's lived life. He's got experiences. And I think his films indicate that even though he can balance action and comedy and do all kinds of things, I feel like he's also got a handle on what his actors should be doing and how they get it across. I mean, it's interesting. In a way that Bay doesn't, because <laughs> Bay's oh. just like, stand there and look good, dude. Well, the big, like, I remember, I think it was Lindsay Ellis that kind of did a breakdown of, of someone like Michael Bay. Mm. And one of the things that she said about Bay was just, everything is big. Everything mm. is like, he, you know, he loves West Side Story. So everything is like the biggest moments from West Side mm-hmm. Story. Mm-hmm. Nothing is like, he doesn't do subtle because none of the themes that he picks are mm-hmm. ever meant to be subtle. Everything is mm-hmm. moving. Every, everything is kinetic. That's how he visualizes things. Mm. And I think that's kind of why, you know, bringing back Komodo, that's, I think that's why Komodo can't deal with him mm. because it's just that element of not knowing the subtlety about it. You know, you're, you're talking mm. about a, a film critic whose favorite film is, the Exorcist, which is like the pixies of horror films. It's mm-hmm. quiet, loud, quiet, loud, quiet, loud, quiet, loud. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Bay, everything is loud. And when everything yeah. is loud, it just becomes noise to some people. Yeah. And See, I for put... me, it's like Slipknot, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you know what, you know, Slipknot worked for me originally because I, well, some of the kids I taught at the time told me I should listen to it. I went off and listened to it. And it was such a cathartic thing to be listening to. Someone who grew up on 80s new wave British heavy metal, this is such a, it's such a radical departure from metal of any kind at that point. But it, and, it, and it sounds one note. Yes. Until you actually are in the mood to listen to it and to really actually realise what they're doing and how they're doing and the subtleties within that. And and that's Bay. Whereas in this sense, I feel like Armitage is much more blues, much more old school, which is kind of why the soundtrack's so interesting. 
because the soundtrack is Cusack. The soundtrack is absolutely Cusack. But so, Armitage understands exactly how to edit it in and bring it in and when to use it. I think there's I think there's something that I've I uh, we've been missing with regards to the soundtrack. Okay. Um, I, I neglected to actually get back to mentioning Kathy Nelson's name in the last episode. Oh, yes, of so course, Kathy Nelson. Good. Well, we have apologies about that for that. But also, um, DV DeVincentis is one of the co-writers that did the rewrite with John Cusack and Steve yeah. Pink, and is also a musical consultant. And I think a lot of the musical um... input might have come from them. Mm. I think that's that's that portion of it weighing in and obviously you know kathy nelson has worked on other things and had a huge impact on them and mm. no doubt had a huge impact on this and then of course mm. joe strummer who does some of the composition and some of the scoring as well mm. um mm. but i think that that element of you know having somebody who rewrote the script also being clearly thinking very intently about the musical elements of the film probably mm. has a very big input on you know, how this film is structured and shaped around mm. the natural inclusion of music. <clears throat> Interestingly enough, to Vincent, as I've got this, I, this, this I did not know, um, he was already working with Cusack as a co-producer because one of the, one of my favourite TV westerns of the era, The Jack Bull, which has Cusack in it, was in 99, um, was co-produced by him. So as they as they come out of Gross Point Blank, they're working on films, making you know, getting work, things Cusack wants to do, and then obviously there's High Fidelity. Um, but he he knows that era of the '90s really well because he was married to Natasha Gregson Wagner, uh, who is for those who know is effectively Hollywood royalty in the sense of the family's responsibility for and all of that. I believe they're not married anymore. But what that means is he's become one of the go-to executive producers on American Crime Story. Right, and yep. he's the showrunner of Pam and Tommy. Yeah, oh, okay, which is like very that. interesting yeah. because now I I wanted to watch that anyway, but now I'm thinking, okay, if one of the guys who worked on Gross Point Blank is on it, then the t tonally I want to see how this film, how that miniseries works, because I suspect if anyone understands how to do the '90s, right? <laughs> I think they they do a really good job of the '90s. I think they. That's a really, it's a difficult one because. From a from a feminist perspective and and looking at it from that point of view, Pam and Tommy is uh, it's not great, uh, <laughs> <laughs> not great at all. Um, but from a trying to watch it from a from a certain distance, I I, I do felt uh, me and I think my wife kind of watched it and really enjoyed what we were seeing from it, from a his historical point of view. But because mm. there is that element of because. Pamela Anderson not really giving it her blessing or anything else. Yeah, like it that. makes it awkward. It, it makes it it makes it really again goes back to what we were saying, cringe mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. unfortunate because they do. I think they do good do a good job of just kind of nailing that tone at the time. Mm. Um, so, what is it about like John Cusack having both his sisters harangue him in this movie? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not a question. I mean, is it is it because you know this is the it's their first this is the first big, uh, well, big. This is the first production to come out of him as a producer with his producer hat on, right? And it's being shot in LA, standing in for Gross Point, Michigan. So presumably, it's very much a question of you know, who's and, and he's, yeah, who's not just who's available, but who can he get easily? You know, 
Yeah, and I think also knowing exactly what he's going to get, right? Yes, like, that's it, the other it, thing. You know, it, it, with with him also being involved in the rewrites, I think maybe not so much for this character, but certainly for Marcella, for Joan Cusack's character, I think a lot of that writing was very much with her face in his mind at, as mm. as he's writing it. It feels that way. Like, it, this feels like the most Joan Cusack of all Joan Cusack's mm. roles. Like yes. it just feels like her, uh, so quintessentially her, and you know, partly that's probably because I've watched this more times than every other film that I've seen of hers <laughs> combined. But uh, you know, it's it it she feels so natural in that in that role, and I, I think that is a big part of it. I think he was writing to that uh, mm. in in part, and I think that's true of um, a couple of other characters as well. I think uh, Jeremy Piven's character of, of Paul. Uh, is mm. is another example of that. Yeah, I'm trying to think. There's that. There's that one line about the radio station, and you can just see Mini Mini Driver's eyes go roll into the back of her head. Go, yeah, it's. I think. It's, oh yeah, it's um when so um, timeless. Timeless. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's such a oh so, oh you, you just cold on my back when that happens. <laughs> there is there is something so real about the casual celebrity that she faces in this film yes. uh, that like I don't think I'd have thought to include it like it it clearly comes from this place that John Cusack and has is probably at when when he's rewriting this that this is you know the frustrations of now having become a known person Mm. And and reflecting that in this small town environment where Debbie is, you know, that known person. Yes. Um, with this, and then again at the high school reunion, right? With Debbie mm. Radio and Bobby Beamer, and <laughs> I love your show, but I don't because of the tone I'm using. All of those things, yeah. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 that's an interesting point you bring up about about Cusack because Daryl Cusack, not really. Like the last thing I think I saw him in was um, the Stephen King adaptation Cell mm-hmm. um, with Samuel L. Jackson. It wasn't It wasn't good. Um, and I saw something else. I think he was in with Christina Ricci. He might have been it or might have been so Roberts. So we, yeah, we saw, he was, he had a, a some, we were talking about this the, uh, several weeks ago. There was something he turned up in TV-wise where I was like, oh, I hadn't realised he was in it. And it really made me think about going to watch the show. Hang on, I'm just going to find it now. Was that uh, Utopia? That's it. He's in the American version of Utopia. Yeah. Oh right. Okay. The Channel Four series. Yeah, he plays um, one of the scientists in that. I mean, it's, it's really in like the thing Dr. that I Kevin found. Christie, that's it. I find it really. I find it really difficult. So I'm watching. I'm watching this, and we said a couple uh, a couple of episodes ago about how he he does these visual ticks that make mm. that makes that just builds the rapport. And one of the things I, I really love about John Cusack is how he did those things to build rapport. Mm-hmm. Um, in High Fidelity, he does it with the audience. In Say Anything, he, he's got all these friends and everything, and he's he's really quite charming, really quite lovable. And this is not me saying that actors need to be charming and lovable in everything. No, 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 of course. That. But I do find it quite interesting that he once he hit a certain point, became a, become a known person, got onto Twitter and became quite political and it was really interesting mm-hmm. to me just mm. how political he is. Yeah. 
I mean, I mm. think you you see the foreshadowing of that in this film, and and mm-hmm. in more more explicitly in Warwick, right? But mm. there is something about uh, his uh, disdain for the privatization of military, for mm. America as a global militaristic power, of yeah. like casual uh, consumerism and and corporate America that are all reflected in this film, in effective and subtle ways i think much more effective than warring uh and this is the advent of that this is john cusack being able to express these things and i think as he goes down the road and he gets a little bit more leeway to be saying and doing what he wants that that becomes the focus and honestly i i do kind of wonder whether he will just straight up go into politics at some point or if he doesn't Mm. simply because he's afraid of becoming that which he despises i don't know but i find it quite interesting because he's so he's so outspoken on on things like twitter so it's quite funny to watch this scene now Mm. Mm. and seeing him as a known person with other things on his mind something serious to Mm. say and being completely disrupted it's like like people taking shots at david simon Mm. where these guys are just like just making movies, whatever actor, whatever. And he's like, actually, no, no, I'm actually looking into this and I know roughly what I'm talking about and this, that and the other. I just find that it's it's a really interesting life imitating art kind of parallel mm. in, this, in this really tiny one minute. Um, mm. The idea of becoming a known person and actually having more to say than just being on the radio or just being an actor mm. or, or anything else like that. It's... It's interesting. I, yeah. I do wonder if the if one of the reasons we, I mean, I assume most of the reasons he's been stuck in contracts for people like Sony churning out action junk is because tax reasons. <laughs> Especially since he and Nick Cage have done one together now, which says it all. But I feel like, <laughs> yeah. but I do wonder also how ground, much of it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Ground. But but I do wonder how much of it is also him being you know having so much cynicism about. The, the world of Hollywood and where it's gone and what it's become like, that he'd rather just take the check and do the job and not have to worry about it and go home and do his thing and support yeah, things possibly. otherwise. Because it, when, he, when he wants to, he can turn up and do something interesting like Chirac. Chirac you know, Chirac, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's in Chirac, he's in Hot Tub Time Machine because he understands he, the parodying element. And when he does do Stephen King's, you know, he's, he's good at them because he, he gets it, right? He's from that era. So I think... I, I think there's the. I feel like the guy we admire and love is still in there. We're just, and we're just not seeing it anymore because of his own feelings about what that job is like and what the world is like. And um, and this is sad because we're looking back at one of his best films and his first production as a person and as a as an individual, and you just kind of think, damn man, damn. <laughs> He's kind of like David Bentley in that sense. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> David Bentley got fed up with football and decided just to open up a bar in by a mm. bear or something because yeah. the but, whole uh, society changed. You know, <laughs> that's what happened. <laughs> coming back to what we were saying about Minnie Driver and the way she looks at him, one thing that Amy's character does allow her to do is it allows her to refocus on the question that Martin ducks by asking her out which is of course you know what's he been doing for 10 years and uh and and he starts lying through his teeth with ease and practice and humor as he says he works for kentucky fried chicken and there is a bit 
there's a close up of Minnie looking at him. She's just leaning on her on her on her right hand, and she's just in love. She's yes. just yeah. in love. That's the guy she remembers, not the guy yeah. he is now. That's the yes. guy she remembers. Yes. And you just and you and meanwhile Amy's going, You're so funny, he's a funny guy. <laughs> and like that is literally where the minute ends, and you're kinda of like that look of her face and you like you know yeah, she's gonna be shocked when she finds out everything, but you know that deep down she really, really still has got it bad for him and it ain't going away. Yeah. yeah. Rom com moment. No guns. All right. All Should right. End it there? Let's do that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this was Minute 49 of the Gross Palm Blank Podcast, Debbie Radio, 79.5 FM, featuring your co-hosts, co-producers, and co-producers, Dev Sullivan and Hugh David. Today's guest was Leslie Byron Pitt, podcaster and film critic. Leslie, where can we find more about you? Uh, so you can find me on X or Twitter, um, uh, Afro Film Viewer. I'm trying to write again. <laughs> so I'm back writing on on, uh, on my blogger site, which is um, afrofilmviewer.blogspot.com. Um, I'm also on Set the Tape, um, doing some reviews there. And um, yeah, that's where you can find some of my writing. Fantastic. Uh, you can find more of us on all good podcast players, as well as on YouTube, Twitter, aka X, and Spotify. Uh, at Debbie Radio, as well as on our website, debbyradio.com. And for all of those, it is Debbie spelt D E B I. Talk with us if you want to have a chat directly on the Facebook listeners group, Debbie Radio 79.5 FM Fan Club. Once more, that is D E B I Radio. Sure was clear that all of this was new. Concentrating hard like a little girl. Smoking for the first time It wasn't a moment It was a feeling of mood